Welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is episode 59 of the show since I started the show about two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and it's been an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. So today, let's meet our courageous guest, John Frankman. John was a captain in the U.S. Army who served as a Green, as a green Beret assigned to 7th Special Forces Group. On July 1st, he voluntarily separated from active duty after eight years due to difficulties surrounding the COVID-19 VAX mandate. Before going on active duty, uh, John spent four years in the Catholic Seminary studying for the Archdiocese of Washington and the military archdiocese before discerning that God had different plans for him. He entered active duty as a infantry officer and completed the infantry basic officer leadership course, the Airborne School and Ranger School. After serving as an infantry officer, he was selected to attend the Special Forces Qualification Course, where he also completed SERE School Survival, Evasion, Resistance and Escape, and completed the military free fall course. Of all his military accomplishments, John considers refusing the immoral and illegal COVID-19 vax his proudest moment. Since leaving the army, he's completed his MA in systematic theology. He has also been fighting for accountability for those responsible for the mandates and restitution for effective service members. I'd like to welcome John. Greetings, John. Welcome to Live Courageously, and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, John. Happy to be here. Well, let me start with what I'd like to start with, and there's a lot in your background that I'm sure you can address this one. How do you see or define the concept of living courageously? Living courageously is doing the right thing no matter what, and it's, it's, it's something with fortitude. So you have that virtue where you go against whatever difficulties, obstacles, you understand what is true. And then whatever obstacles you have, you, you have your values in a proper hierarchical order. You're trying to serve God first, then after that kind of family and just trying to get those virtues in line. So it's obviously applying it to each situation, but it's basically just knowing what the right thing is and then doing it regardless. Well, you know, from just reading your bio and um, you kind of have an interesting journey that you went on and maybe we'll start with some of the beginning of it because, well, I grew up Catholic in you know, New York, Irish family, but you you were studying for the uh, to be a Catholic priest. And then, you, like you said, God took you in a different direction and he took you into the military. Share a little bit about, A, how you got into uh, studying for the uh, to be in the uh a priest, and then what shifted, and then what was that journey for you, and how that went? Give us a little background on you. Sure. So I was raised uh, generally just Christian, Protestant, and parents were split up, and I would go to church maybe about once a month or so, and then when I was living with my dad in the summer after parents split up, I was going on a weekly basis. And when I was 15, my mom, she didn't like the public school I was going to, so she sent me to a high school, a Catholic high school, and really just liked everything the religion teacher was teaching. Uh, I was within walking distance to a Catholic parish. So I started going there and there was some spiritual element to the mass that I had not experienced in any other church I'd gone to. And I just thought it was, wasn't very intellectual of a conversion, but that this is where God wanted me to be. This is the church that he, he wants me to join. So became Catholic and I was, I was becoming Catholic. I started wondering, is God calling me to the priesthood? A priest was at the Catholic high school I was at. And he said, I sat where you sat. 
And now I'm a priest. And maybe one day one of y'all will be a priest. So it was just the classic Ignatian joy, peace about bringing God to other people. And then there was like the fear, anxiety of what you'd give up, marriage, other things 15-year-old boys think about. Uh, So at any rate, um, ended up becoming Catholic, growing in my faith, and not really understanding the faith super well in college, I went to a Protestant evangelical school. And it was through being challenged at Wheaton College, amazing education, great friends, but being challenged by Protestants, I had to learn my faith more. So read a lot of Scott Hahn books and Patrick Madrid, really being able to answer those apologetic questions and just love the faith so much more that I thought maybe God's calling me to be a priest. So I applied for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. And since I was doing ROTC in college with the intention of being a military officer, I knew I would have to fulfill my obligation for the military as a chaplain where I had to be a priest. So went into seminary with the intent of being a chaplain, looked up very much to Father Emil Capon, who he's a, a Medal of Honor recipient. He was a World War II, or sorry, a Korean vet who died in a prison camp there, very much a martyr. And just under that kind of influence, went into the seminary thinking of being a chaplain, but after four years, and it's a six-year program, so if you already have your college degree, you go there for six years, you study philosophy for two years, theology for four. So after doing four years of seminary, discerned it was not what God was calling me to do, and still love my Catholic faith, try to go to Mass as frequently as possible, and got branched in the army, basically on active duty. Well, right before we do that, I just, I'm going to throw up here. This is uh, something, the importance of your faith itself on one of your, your web pages. And just to talk about a little bit about that for a minute, before we uh, pivot to the military, you know, in our time right now, obviously um, we're in a society where there's been a loss of a lot of faith, uh, a loss of, of those values. And so for you clearly, and, and this is going to come back later as I talk to you further. This is part of what drives you and why. What is it about faith and belief that gives you what it does in life? And what, we, and what would you tell people why they should uh, pay attention to it if, if they haven't or if they've lost uh, their faith? There's, it has to do with just reality that, that God exists and that he loves us and the end for which we're made is to know, serve and love him. And by this means to be happy with him forever and any other good that you're trying to achieve, anything else that you think you're doing in life, whether it's with your family or going to work, it really doesn't, that's all going to go away. That's just, it's vanity. It's just like, um, you know, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. Like this world vanishes. If you're really looking for meaning and purpose, you need to find it in that ultimate good. And God is all good. Um, He is truth itself. It's just those first principles that, When you study something, when you learn something, it just gives you a joy to just know that truth. And it's something that just you want to share with others. So I think just having any kind of meaning or purpose in life has to do with that kind of fundamental truth that God exists. And then getting into God being a person that Jesus Christ came, lived, died and suffered for us so that we can have eternal life in a relationship with him. And just apart from this, it just really doesn't make as much sense. And I mean, if you're just looking at it pragmatically, I think that we in the society thought that as we get rid of God, we're going to be more rational. And we've had a lot of these movements in modernism where we think if we're not going to church, if we're just focusing on science, then we're just going to be a more rational species. We're going to do things the right way. We won't have any kind of magic fairy dust influencing what we do. But I think that we can see the results of that. It's that we think that men can be women, women can be men. We can kill children up until the moment that they're born. 
all other kinds of crazy things. And just society isn't, isn't the better for it. And I mean, God ultimately wants our happiness. So if you're not happy in life, if you want something more, that's the only way you can't achieve it on your own. Like God loves you. He made you for himself. And there's only so much you can achieve as a human. So as far as the, the faith goes, I mean, faith, that's the, that's the habit of the mind where you know who God is. Hope is that knowledge that he loves you and he can help bring you to himself. And then that love is, um, that's a sharing in divine life with him. That's sanctifying grace. So I just, like I said, I just finished the mass, like you said, just finished the masters in systematic theology. So I can go into that a whole lot, but um, it's absolutely well, the reason I live. Well, you, you, obviously it provides you with a purpose and a mission in life. And the other purpose and mission, and you, you talked about it right before we went into this, which is basically in serving your country. And that's the other, once you, you know, went into the military and, and felt that that was where you needed to serve both God, but also your country, you ended up uh, uh, doing that and going into uh, the infantry. So share us that experience and that journey that you went on in the military, which was both service to what you felt was your purpose here and your mission, and then your service to our country. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been kind of a uh, very idealistic person. And I just was thinking, what gifts has God given me and how can I use that for the best, for the greater good? And always loved my country and just thought that God had given me some leadership capabilities, just loving physical fitness, loving my country. So that made me ultimately want to be a member of the military ever since high school, maybe before. I think my mom showed me some Halloween costumes, dressing up like a infantry soldier or whatever. Yeah. And it was getting out of the seminary. Uh, I had put in that I wanted combat arms jobs. So I thought it was such a God thing that Easter Monday, the year I was leaving seminary, so still a student about to transfer out, found out that I got branched active duty infantry. So I went through all the active duty infantry training. So I went through the infantry basic officer leadership course, September of 2015, starting that, which is four months of how you maneuver 40 individuals through the woods. Then I went to ranger school, which is typically a two month course and is absolutely terrible. You barely eat, you barely sleep. Everybody loses a lot of weight. They hate life. And because <laughs> I recycled a number of times, it took me five months. So, you know, I might not have a combat deployment, but I would take a combat deployment over doing uh, doing that ranger school. And then went to airborne school after that. So jumping out of planes, just a thousand feet at that point. And while I was in ranger school, met a very good friend who uh, was a Green Beret. And that made me think about becoming a Green Beret. And I went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection. That's a three-week uh, three week tryout for Special Forces. So the first week has a lot of physical gates. You're doing a lot of ruck marches, runs. People are getting dropped left and right here and there. You're having IQ tests, psychological tests, all kinds of stuff, language aptitude. Then you're doing land nav the next week. And then after that, you're doing a bunch of team week stuff where you're carrying more weight than you thought was possible over an extended distance. And getting through just that's just the trial. And then you have a couple of years of training. You're doing some small unit tactics. You're doing SEER, which is survival, evasion, resistance and escape. So kind of preparing yourself in case you are caught behind enemy lines or put in a prison camp. And the culminating exercise for for Special Forces Green Berets is called Robin Sage. And that's where you pretend to work with a guerrilla force to really overthrow a country and occupying power. And that's what Green Berets are really trained to do. So did all that training, went to the military freefall course. And I mean, this is right about, about when COVID was happening, but yeah, that's just kind of all the training that kind of took me to June of 2020, which is when I got to seven Special Forces group. So I, that, that was a pretty, uh 
intense journey, obviously, and for, you know, for myself as a civilian and for people who haven't been in the military, who know about it from the outside, you know, that, that, um, physical training is pretty, pretty brutal, like you said, and at the same time makes you a leader. Um, and, and so you, you obviously develop all those leadership skills, all those survival skills, all those combat skills, you learned all of that. And, and now you're moving, you know, you, you're still, what was your commitment at that point? You moved up, you were ready to, did you see yourself staying in the military all your life? What, what were you thinking when you were at that point in your life? Right. So doing special forces qualification course, because of the number of years of training that you accrue, because of the amount of money that the government puts into you, they want to get something back. So I owed three years of active duty time to the army after I completed the special forces qualification course, when I got to my unit seven special forces group. So I knew at the very least I was going to be in the military until June of 2023. However, as the whole COVID nonsense was going on, I applied to teach philosophy and ethics at West Point. So I was accepted wow. by the philosophy department and assessed into the Simon Center for Military Ethic. And I was supposed to teach an ethics course there. Doing that, I would have gotten a master's in philosophy, which was two years. And that would have given me a six more six year additional duty service obligation. So I would have owed eight more years past that commitment. At that point, I just planned on being a career military officer. So I was planning on doing 20 years at that point. And how many years had you uh, served up until that point? Up until that point, I believe it was six, six years, six, five, six years. Six, yeah. six. And then, so like you said, you you at least had another commitment of six and potentially a career. Uh, and then the world changed. Your world changed. Our world changed. Right. How, how? How did it change for you? And tell us that those moments, and it wasn't one moment, but it was multiple moments, how did that change? And then I want to go deeper into that for you personally, because obviously the whole world changed for all of us when the COVID pandemic hit and everybody was now uh, being told to do certain things, to obey certain people, to not do other things. And, and, and we weren't living in the kind of country we were living in previously. Right. I was out in Yuma, Arizona doing military freefall course in March of 2020 when COVID hit the U.S. when we started being concerned about it. I remember the first two weekends in the military freefall school, going to Los Angeles, visiting family, going out to San Diego. And then that last weekend, we're all kind of stuck there. And everybody's kind of worried about the shot or sorry, not the shot. We're worried about COVID. And I wasn't as worried about it because I was jumping out of planes at 14,000 feet at nighttime with oxygen and equipment. So that was kind of my main concern as far as, uh, you know, surviving. But Getting back to North Carolina, the military pretty much halted just about everything as far as training goes. We were all kind of stuck at our house, put in quarantine. We were told two weeks to slow the spread, wearing masks when we get back into our training environment or, or come back to the office. Because at that point, I'm just waiting to move to Florida to start my next three years. But it was just so odd that churches were shut down. And sometimes it wasn't even the government that was shutting it down. It was just bishops choosing to do it. It was church leaders choosing to do it. And they're being more compliant than the government at times. So, I mean, hats off to churches like Grace out in Los Angeles, where my dad went, where John MacArthur stood up. I wish that we had had more Catholic priests, bishops doing the same kind of thing. Unfortunately, my pastor was able to provide the sacraments to me and others, but it was just very odd. And then other friends who are concerned, hey, why are you going to this? You might get us sick. And not seeing the irony that you had a lot of grocery stores, hardware stores, other things that were kept open, yet the house of God, I think the biggest kind of 
irony is that Our Lady of Lords, Lords France was shut down, which is where you have those miracles of, of healing. And it just is like, WTF, where's the faith? <laughs> where's the faith? I, I like that. Um, wh wh why? But th those moments, I mean, like you said, there, there were, you know, the government was shutting things down, but people themselves, like in, in the Catholic Church, were shutting themselves down. Other churches were shutting themselves down as well. Um, why? What, what do you think? Was it just fear over faith instead of faith over fear that they just, you know, that the message of fear was being pumped out and they were buying it and they didn't have either the courage or the faith to say, well, you know, you're jumping out of planes. Why am I going to be afraid of this? Uh, as opposed to, you know, it, it, there might be a danger, but should that mean I, I don't live? You know, what, what caused that in your mind? I mean, you saw it both in, in the fake community. You saw it in the military. What did you see going on among people who you didn't expect to go into that fear or go into that compliance? I think that it was a very few amount of people that had the fear. And I think there were some people who were very much hook, line and sinker buying the propaganda that was put out. And it was a lot of other people that were going along with it that weren't wanting to offend that kind of more radical minority, which... Maybe it was people who had bad intent and wanted to limit our freedoms at the highest level. And maybe some of those individuals then buy kind of the propaganda about how dangerous this could be. And I think we what hear about Fauci saying one thing and then changing his mind and doing that because he wanted to influence how Americans actually responded. So it might be those individuals who are trying to who actually believe it the most and are trying to push certain policies and others that don't really want to offend and then kind of on the other side, kind of a group such as myself that kind of see through the BS and want to sort of push back. So I, I do think that there's, yeah, a lack of kind of understanding of how this, the world just metaphysically about existence after this earth. So, so not really putting understanding or remembering that God exists, but you know, at the same time, we didn't know how dangerous the disease was at first. So maybe you excuse the first week, the first two weeks, but after a while, when you see the absolute irony of what's being kept open and what's not of having of seeing that it's older people who are, have comorbidities that are affected and not the young I, I think that there was plenty of evidence for those who are willing to see it to not get driven by fear but to be just kind of open to facts so and as, as far as like with priests and bishops and things like that just what an absolute mistake i don't it, that's a much harder one to excuse yeah, you know, and and you like you said, I mean, if you questioned, if you had a, a that part of you that was a questioner, and I think a lot of people have been, you know, educated to not question in life, but if you had that question, and like you said, okay, a church is closed, but a strip club is open, um, marijuana dispensaries are open, but a church and a gym is closed, uh, AA or NA meetings for addicts is closed, but so the things that are going to support us in life are closed and the things that are negative remain open. And even that alone is enough to make you go, whoa, how, how, how do you explain this with any bit of uh, common sense and logic? And there is none. But yet that's what happened. And so many people just went ahead and complied. Yeah, absolutely. And so in the military, what what is what was your experience before we get to the whole question of once the vaccines came into play, but prior to the vaccines coming into play, what was the majority of your friends, your your fellow soldiers? How was everybody dealing with it in that environment? That's kind of unique. 
Right. So most Green Berets weren't too worried about it. I think the, the folks in training with me, we'd all hang out. We wouldn't wear a mask. Then Kadri come around. We put our masks on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the few Asian kids wore it anyway. Maybe they're more accustomed. I don't know. That was kind of funny. Um, and yeah, but but then there's some folks who are going through training who are concerned about getting sick. So they, they were being a little bit stricter because military leadership they're very much risk averse. So they're trying to mitigate risks as much as they can. And if there's anything that they can do, they'll do it in order to kind of take that, that risk. And they like to own it at their level. So there's this problem of not really putting power to your subordinates, allowing kind of that sort of command authority to being at that level. Uh, so maybe a, a high level general is like, hey, we're just gonna stop moving people period. And we're only gonna do it by exception to policy versus do what you need to do at your level and kind of in understanding. So it, it kind of pushed back on training readiness, things like that early on. And it did, especially before the shot even came out with regards to the amount of time that you had to be in quarantine before traveling, after traveling, the amount of testing. And I mean, we could get into the test too and how actually efficacious they are versus are they just there to create positive uh, cases. I think that we look at it and everything was meant to create a positive case to try to bump those numbers up. But with regards to COVID vax injuries, COVID shot vax injuries, uh, as well as COVID vax deaths, that's just being just totally swept under the table. Well, that's clearly something going forward, you know, where the struggle is going on. But like you said, you're, you know, and in the military, was it mainly a, a CYA kind of thing where they, you know, like you said, they want to minimize risk, but at the same time, they're also wanting to cover themselves from any criticism, any punishment. So, you know, in the military, like in bureaucratic organizations in general, the tendency is to not take risks if it's going to affect potentially your position in the future, right? I think it's a huge CYA thing for the military and also for, I think, church leaders too, that some of them might have been more worried about getting sued by the government if people contract here. So a lot of a lot of just CYA and we need to kind of get out of this risk averse and this, hey, I'll just sue you if you do something wrong mentality within our country. And then and then, you know, the, the media, the government, the pharmaceutical companies, everybody, the amount of propaganda that came at us in such a short period of time was mind boggling. Absolutely. I mean, every commercial, every. I mean, in ways that you couldn't imagine the amount of organized propaganda, you know, that was pushing one message and trying to get compliance. And then, you know, the other side and, you know, tell us your, you know, your experience with this. Now we'll stop pivoting into the vaccine. But, you know, in my opinion, it was three different groups of people. There were people who were COVID vaccine skeptical. There was people who were COVID vaccine uh, what would you call it? Just, um, you know, just didn't trust that particular thing. And then there was other people who had religious reasons as to why not to take the vaccine, but they were all bunched together and called anti-vax. And now you got labeled and now you became, how dare you think and question? I mean, that's like, why would you do that? Yeah. And, and, so, and to do that now became a bad thing, an evil thing. And your friends were turned on you. For, for being the person who said, well, let me raise some questions. No, don't raise questions. We don't want to have questions. So tell how, how did that start to happen? And when did the vaccine come into um, play? Yeah, so I took a team September of 2020. And we all were just kind of close, chatting about everything happening in the world. 
And we knew that the COVID shot was coming out. And very early on, myself, other Catholic friends were aware that these shots used aborted fetal cells in either the testing and production. So originally for me, I didn't want to get the shot based on the aborted fetal cell use. And having been a Catholic seminary and having dedicated my time to, to my faith and to study, I realized that, well, that at least that is some kind of participation in abortion, abortion, which is the murder of an unborn child, the theft of its body parts right there. So that made me at least wait until it was mandatory or wait until the situation kind of became graver. And I had other soldiers of mine. I just told my team that I wouldn't punish or reward them based on whether they got the shot, which was the actual army policy at the time. And because of that, the majority of my team never received the shot, not until the mandate came out. And that's something that what, differed. What, what, time, what time frame was that, John? So this was February, March time frame. And basically the shot was available for special forces soldiers around that time. And we had signups sign for it. And we were able to see the signups. And I was, I was noticed that, well, I'm the only officer who didn't sign up in my company. So there's that possibility that becomes kind of a stigma kind of thing. Just tell the team that, and then they keep pressuring it. So the deal is that the military wanted as many people jabbed, vaccinated as possible. And they said that it was a readiness issue. And kind of in the absence of war, Afghanistan's going away. How do you measure up to others? Well, you kind of do whatever the command priorities are to get your numbers up. And even if that's not something you can, you know, formally be rated for, it's something that they can create associations with you and write your officer valuation report in such a way that, hey, we didn't say that we denigrated your career because you didn't get it, but that's kind of what we did, but use different language to kind of couch that. So my team, we were known as the the tinfoil hat team <laughs> we were, uh, it was pretty pretty funny um and just the guys just they, they didn't want to get it and they were aware of the heart issues that it could cause in young men and they were skeptical because we understand we understood it was an emergency use authorized drug and that means that there's no liability for the drug company these guys are worried if they get injured how are they going to support their families and, and just say that one more time it was an emergency use right so right. it wasn't something that had been developed over 10, 15, 20 years of testing. It was an emergency use. And yet there was no legal liability to the companies that did it for whatever they did, right or wrong. So just common sense says that it's emergency use, authorized drug. None of the liability goes to the drug company. You are a healthy late 20s, 30s, early 40s, special forces Green Beret. You're working out. You've already had COVID. Everyone around you has already had COVID. You have the antibodies. You're looking at the studies. You know that the antibodies work better. They're trying to make up some science where it doesn't work better. For the first time, this is the only disease where antibodies don't actually show, like getting it doesn't actually show you contract antibodies. Uh, we're looking at the medical actual policy for the military, which says that if you can show you've already had the disease, if you can test for the antibodies, that's a medical exemption right there. So we right. went against our own policy and we're seeing how there's just so much fear around it and it just doesn't make common sense. And one definition I really like for sin in the catechism is an act against reason. So to get the shot to me seemed like an act against reason. And you got you got a quote I want to just throw up here. Um, Think critically when future crises arise so as not to give away to propaganda and social pressure especially when it goes against one's values, individual liberty and common sense. I think that's just a powerful quote. And I think your, your, your attitude about as leader, as a leader of your group in the Green Beret, 
you reflected that leadership to have to judge them on the ability to let them think critically, to make a decision and to not punish them. And then, but that wasn't what is done in the society. It definitely was not what was done in the military during that period of time. Unfortunately, that think critically was pushed off the, the table as something that you should never do again. Stop it. Don't do this, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and that started this, this, uh, uh to where we are today. So take us further. So now they, they mandate it. Um, and now what happens? Well, even before they mandated it, my team, we were supposed to deploy to a Central American country that did not have the shot mandate. And I felt that the pressure was worse before the mandate came out than after. And it was worse because there was kind of this pressure to get it, but there wasn't any kind of legal way they could make us get the shot. So they used whatever ways they could with command authority, with different policies, making you quarantine longer, mask if you're not vaccinated, and they ended up taking a deployment from my team. So that was a very big kind of loss for us, something we'd been planning for a while. And you don't go through the two years of training, so you can just you know sit at home in the team room. But basically, the shot mandate came out August of 2021. Uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says, I'm ordering service members to get vaccinated with an FDA-approved vaccine. We're told that community, you know, it sounds like conformity, makes sense it does, <laughs> but community is FDA approved is what we're told. And, you know, we figured out pretty early on, there is no community available. So you can only force us, you can only mandate us, I shouldn't say force, you can only mandate service members to take an FDA approved drug. Now there's definitely clauses for religious exemptions, for medical exemptions, all of those being ignored. But my team, we were all aware there is no FDA approved drug available. We ended up getting past August, not having gotten the shot because we saw, OK, we're not required to be fully vaccinated until maybe December or something like that. Let's go to this training event we have. It's about four weeks. It's in Louisiana. We're in the woods for a couple of weeks. Let's get through that and then kind of worry about it. Well, we got counseled in the middle of the woods. Uh, that leadership thought it was such an important thing to get everyone the vaccine as soon as possible that in the middle of this two week thousands of people training exercise where as special forces green berets we are practicing irregular warfare we are pretending to be behind enemy lines deep in the woods they had to send a major out to us with a humvee to counsel us and i after the counseling i call my company commander i say hey sir why are we getting counsel in the middle of the woods how do you expect guys to make a career decision without the proper medical legal or religious resources to make that decision how am i supposed to show them that Training to fight and win wars is more important than this administrative BS, and we're just not going to get training value. So fortunately, we were able to push that back, came back to 7 Special Forces Group, and that week was just a ringer. That Tuesday, everybody was counseled. I think everybody told the company commander, there is no FDA-approved shot. I put that on my counseling form. I put my counseling form up on social media. Everybody can see me write out that uh, it's not safe. 15,000 people have died according to the VAERS system, which is the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, which is run by the CDC and is very undercounted, that people are still getting sick who've already had the shot, so it's not effective, and that it's not legal because there's no FDA-approved drug. The next day, we talked to the group doctor, these kind of higher-up doctors at 7th Group, and they try to tell us that there's no distinction between Pfizer and community. Well, there is legally, but they just say it's medically interchangeable. We talk about medical exemptions and somehow that policy doesn't apply. And then the next day, anyone who didn't turn in the religious exemption or get the shot because guys were just so tired of having to wait 
so late for work because we were just being hassled with these counselings and talking to doctors and everything that if they didn't get it, they were met with a battalion commander, command sergeant major, the battalion doctor, medic, lawyer, just ready to either give you the shot or give you a general officer memorandum of reprimand. And it doesn't matter how long these guys have been in, 18 years, how many deployments they've done, three, four, whatever. If you didn't get it, you were going to get your crew wrecked by getting that kind of piece of paper. So I turned my religious exemption in. The rest of the team gets the shot. My team time gets cut short. Like I said, I would I applied to uh, teach philosophy and was accepted to teach philosophy in an ethics course at West Point because and they continue to punish you even if you tried to use the administrative means one by denying all religious exemptions and while my religious exemption was pending i couldn't deploy i couldn't move on to a further duty station which prevented me from moving to grad school to continue that kind of dream of teaching philosophy at west point i couldn't travel for any kind of career enhancing schools to any other countries so it pretty much kind of railroads your career so that kind of brought me to decision to leave and well, I'm going to go a couple of places, but uh, teaching a class on ethics, hmm, sounds like there's a lot of people who needed a class on ethics in the military who were um, promoting what they promoted to you. They might have used that class, um, you know, because obviously they weren't being ethical in the way they handled it and putting that kind of pressure on people. So to go back a little bit to ask you a quick question. Who in the military made that final decision? Was it General Austin? Was he the or him and a group of people at that level who, who decided that we're going to take this to this level and, and uh, push it all the way? Is that where it, does the buck stop with him or with who? I mean, the buck stops with the president and he right. is responsible for just the complete and abysmal failure that's been our country since he took office. And he has pushed this shot or whoever his handlers are, <laughs> whatever right, right. global powers are, have pushed this shot to such an extent. And the secretary of defense, he went along with it. And the reason why I'm really pushing for investigations for congressional hearings is because of the manner in which this was put in place. He ordered us to take an FDA proof shot when there wasn't one available. We were told that community was approved and then some other weird kind of legal stuff happens. Then like a year later for the people who didn't get the shot, they have it or produce it. it. There's just too many kind of questions about how this was all put into place. And then the secretaries of every branch, I mean, all the concerns that I brought up have been brought up to leadership. Maybe, you know, at the local level, not every leader is tracking everything, but those major complaints they've brought up in lawsuits, informal complaints, in whistleblowers. Senator Ron Johnson's been great about trying to fight it. And so it's kind of a larger sort of who knows in the Pentagon who did it. And then just kind of level of complicitness, too. So it's not just those leaders who mandate it. It's every leader who, one, didn't think critically enough to kind of understand what was going on. And then, two, didn't have the courage to do something about it. A lot of people didn't want it, but they didn't necessarily have the kind of courage to go against it. Maybe they, maybe they didn't see the extent that it's an infringement on our rights and could cause medical issues and service members. But just so long answer, but I think Sec Austin is the secretary of Austin is the one who's kind of responsible up there in the in the military. Exactly. Um, and then once again, uh, you know, they ignored religious exemptions. They messed around with them. Um, they took their time with all that. So they played games rather than just accepting that if there was a valid religious uh, exemption, that they should just accept it. Um, that's what they've done in the past. That's what it is supposed to be policy. Right. 
So then it comes down, you know, your situation, and this is just an article they, you know, in the Floridian that they interviewed you. Um, that ended up giving you, when you wanted to be a lifelong member and serving our country, you're forced now to make a decision, and you decided to stick with your principles, stick with your values, stick with your your beliefs, and so you make a decision to leave. Right, How and uh, Floridian, that's that's an op-ed I wrote where I'm just kind of re retelling the story there. But the decision uh -huh. I made, it was based on. Well, I, I hired a lawyer at that point because what a lot of people don't realize is the majority of people who are kicked out, such as Brianna Cespedes, who you had on your show, they received a general discharge and that's for serious offense. So misconduct, commission of a serious offense. That makes it harder for her to apply for schools uh, or I mean for work. She doesn't have her GI Bill to go to school. So a number of these different things. So I'm working with my lawyer trying to figure out what is the best decision for me. I owe the military until June of 2023. A lot of people are stuck for longer, longer careers. I mean, what about those pilots? They stop them from training. They make them pay back everything they owe. So I decide to leave after this two-star general has a town hall. And town hall meaning means that you ask whatever questions you want. Usually your leadership says, hey, don't ask any stupid questions. Just ask kind of the party line stuff like, oh, how do we get out the door? Or how do we get more diverse? Or whatever it is. And <laughs> I just, I just go there and decide, all right, you know, I'm just going to shoot my shot and hey sir captain franklin over in this battalion and this is uh august of 22 so i say two weeks ago the cdc changed its guidance and said there's no distinction between those who are vaccinated those who are not yet there's 30 of us who can't deploy can't travel can't go uh can't move to different duty stations and and also i've had my exemption in since october of last year when are when am i going to hear back about that are, is there, are they going to rescind the mandate? And just him kind of saying, well, one, have you heard of Novavax? Which I respond, yes, sir. That also uses aborted fetal cells. But then to, we're going to, we're going to kick you out. Basically, we don't want to make, we don't want to kick you out, but we'll kick you out if we have to. The army tells you to do something, you should just do it. I mean, where's the sense of, we took an oath to support and defend the constitution. I think every time that there was a swearing in or some officer promoted, and I heard that, it really just kind of frustrated me because I know you're a good dude, but how do you not see this, that this is just attacking our constitutional rights, just like our, our, our freedom of just bodily autonomy in of kind of the laws and systems that we have in place. And, and, and so you, you talked to a lawyer. So what, what, what was that? What did you come up with at that point? And, and I'm going to ask you how many people ended up in um, as far as you know, getting forced out in one fashion or another out of the military. And then we'll come into what you're doing sure. about it today. But, but those two questions. Right. Yeah. So with the lawyer, basically he said, they're going to, they're going to deny your exemption. They're denying all the exemptions. They're just going to deny it. And then they're going to deny your appeal. And then they're going to kick you out and they're probably going to push for a general discharge. So it would probably look better for you to start the paperwork to leave, to get the honorable discharge, take it, take your GI benefits, take those abilities to better have job opportunities versus kind of risk sacrificing this. So I put my paperwork in to leave September of 2023. And as far as I know, there's been about 8,400 service members who are kicked out on active duty. And that's probably like a smaller number because that's talking about those who were kicked out for either right out, outright refusing or getting their exemptions denied. There's other people who maybe for whatever technical means within the national guard couldn't drill or 
there's also retention issues. So I'm not in that 8,400. 8, I chose to leave. Now we have recruitment issues. So it's a huge readiness issue for the force, but there were a number in for those 8K. I mean, there's even more people who had their careers put on hold based on the number of religious exemptions that were put in, denied, put on hold, et cetera. And you said there was a, a 30 people in your um, in your uh, group that was not able to deploy because they, they were resistant to that as well. Did they all get forced out or do similar to you? Sign out, force out. What 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 happened to those uh, group of people that you? So know? for whatever reason, different branches handled this differently, and I think that Marine Corps, Air Force, they might have moved to deny exemptions as fast as possible to kick people out. The Army, maybe it's based on the number of exemptions they got. Maybe their tactic was to, in order to not face different court orders, I think they didn't answer. They just kept us in limbo. They didn't answer our religious exemptions. So the army was much more slow to roll this out because on the one hand, they don't care if they keep shelling out money, paying my paycheck, but not allow me to progress my career. However, that, that hurts me. And it also means that I can't have a lawsuit. So I've reached out to my congressman, reached out to my senators, and a lot of them are telling me, wait until you have your exemption denied, your appeal denied, then we can kind of move forward with lawsuits. Well, guess what? They're not denying our exemptions, so they can avoid the lawsuits. That In all the court cases that have kind of been come up, there's been over 40 lawsuits that were filed against the Secretary of Defense, against the military, with regards to the COVID shot mandate. And they're being dismissed as moot right now, which is stopping us from setting legal precedent. So if, if the courts don't do it, for whatever reason, you know, trying to get Congress to do it. So just kind of a whole mess right now that we, the people need to just get involved and fix. Yeah. I'm going to go into a, a little bit of what you and other veterans are doing to kind of keep, continue this battle against those who uh, basically created this situation uh, for our country, for our military. And um, one, just one side question. Did you get any, uh, a lot or a little blowback from people who went along with the program in the military and just kind of, like you said, they called you a name, you know, at one point, but, but did they really, you know, come at you hard because you were not willing to go along with the program? So I'll, I'll just say, I love my unit. I love most leaders I had and at the battalion level and below, I mean, some of them didn't think as critically as they could, but they knew that my concerns were genuine. They knew my faith was genuine didn't try to punish me for it. They said, going ahead and, you know, we're going to, we're going to approve or we're going to recommend for approval your, your religious exemption. And then within friends, they respect the kind of position that I took. I think there were some folks who were like, why don't you just get it? You can go to West Point and do this thing at like, I think the 06 level and up, that's where it was just like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> I mean, Sergeant Major was kind of a jerk about it, but that's just because he wanted a large number of us. But um, yeah, the 06 level, it was nuts. I had a uh, an exit interview. And he, I was just, I mean, I, I came at it a little aggressively too and asked, do you think this was legal? Do you realize it needs an FD approved shot? And he was kind of like saying, Hey man, like if you're, if your religious does beliefs don't really get along with the organization, you should probably go somewhere else. You're going to a dark place. Kind of asked me if I believed in selfless leadership, um, which I'm like, yeah, that's what, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so going, going forward in this, um, as to what you're doing now, what, what, what yourself and other veterans are doing to kind of rectify. And like you mentioned, um, the military now is faced with a situation of recruitment now, 
Um, they're kind of now saying, well, you can come back in even if you left, but they're not taking responsibility or handling it the way they should to rectify, to reimburse people for what they lost. They're not doing any of that. They're just, once again, looking out for themselves and going, we need people. Hey, you can come back in even though we picked you out. So tell us a little bit about that and then we'll go into what you're doing specifically um, as well. Right. So the the military is in a drastic situation right now. Readiness is low. We've had like very record low recruitment the last couple of years and we're not looking to do any better right now. And having kicked out 8,000 service members, having curt retention by people like me choosing to leave based on the BS that we received, having recruitment being so low, having an unknown number of service members who've been vaccinated injured because we're not looking into that, that's just very much hurt readiness. So what myself and others are trying to do, well, I wrote that op-ed, the Floridian, to try to kind of get my voice out there. And I very much see it as a God thing that that has generated enough attention that I've been able to get out here, do these interviews. So I'm really just trying to, one, raise awareness, uh, two, get accountability, and then three, get restitution for service members. So in the awareness, it's trying to talk about these things that happen in the military. And my story is a very mild one. There are other people who've received it so much worse than I did. And I'm, you know, for that, I'm very grateful to God. I'm very grateful to my leadership that they could have been worse about it. Yet those policies still made it. So even with a good unit, I, you know, felt forced out. So raising that awareness and that's through talking through members of Congress, um, writing, going on different podcasts. As far as the, the measures that we're trying to do, we want to get committee, we want to get hearings. So there's different committees within Congress that cover various topics. Some of those are House Armed Service Committee. Others are on COVID Select. There's another that's a subcommittee on weaponization of the federal government. So I'm trying to talk to all those offices, all those different staffs that have congressmen that are within those committees to hold hearings. I mean, COVID was a huge experience. It would be the, the most important part of the military exercise is the after action review. That's where we go through what happened. We acknowledge what what sustains we have, what went well, and what improves we have, what did not go well. We do that so we can learn from it and we can correct the mistakes. Regardless of whether you think this was an amazing thing, which if you did, I, I don't know what you're drinking um, <laughs> or what, what drugs you're on. I don't know. Probably out in California shooting up on something. but <laughs> I, I, I can take them to San Francisco. Yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the border, getting some uh, what fentanyl is coming across. But unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so. At any rate, trying to get these committee hearings. And if you have the hearings, we have a number of witnesses that are willing to testify. You have Brianna Cespedes, you have myself, you have a lot of doctors who were blowing the whistle on injuries that were happening. We have lawyers that were fighting lawsuits, understanding the legality of this. Just let us talk. Just, just let us talk. Give us a platform. Let us talk. Ask us questions. And I understand that there's a bunch of rhinos out there who don't want to do crap that might have money coming from Big Pharma or whatever. Well, guess what? If they're not doing it, have a regional hearing. You know, I, I mean, I met up with uh, Congressman Matt Gates, uh, Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. They were having a regional hearing on uh, ATF and about trying to get rid of that. Uh, yes. And at any rate, I thought that was really solid. But why don't we just have a regional hearing? Um, so th that's kind of that one method. And then as far as restitution, trying to get different amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act. So the, right now, there's not a whole lot of amendments happening. And service members, like such as Brianna, who was kicked out, 
she can't raise automatically her discharge status. She got a general and it's crazy that she won't just get an honorable. They won't just automatically do that. Um, and furthermore, just getting automatically the capability to go back in the military. Those are the only really two things along with another amendment that you couldn't legislate this again. That's what Tom uh, Ted Cruz is working on with the Americans Act. But we're trying to get others where people get back pay, where we do an investigation into COVID injuries for service members, because I've had a lot of people come up to me, tell me about how they felt that they've had some different changes to their health since getting the shot. And there have been some weird anomalies where people will die at the combat dive qualification course or at the maritime assessment course or pilots having heart attacks in Fort Rucker, Alabama. And I would like to know more about that. I think everybody would like to. And it's just insane that we don't look into that, given how essential the military is to just the general well-being of our country. If we don't have the military to defend us, what's going to happen? So get all of that stuff kind of going on, get the pack pay in there. And let's say I had stayed in the military, it would be impossible as it was for me to get my career back on track. So trying to get some kind of restitution, some kind of favorable career action to help a person who, with whatever opportunities they lost out on in their career, to recover those. And it's just the right thing. And the accountability, it means that those people who broke the law need to be held accountable for the laws that they broke, whatever that, whatever that means. Those who retire from the military, well, they should be brought back on active duty so that they can face a military tribunal. Um, I'm not saying it's going to result in any crazy sentence, but like we need that kind of accountability. And I, I mean, it's absolutely insane. You know, a service member loses, let's say, a piece of equipment. You have a you have a flipple. You have like a big liability for property loss investigation going on. You might give that guy a pretty strict counseling. You know, we didn't have any of that for the billions of dollars of equipment left in Afghanistan or for the 13 service. There hasn't been a person fired for the Afghan withdrawal for the 13 service members who were who died because of that. And to me, that's just absolute madness. I don't know how out of shame they don't just quit. So really, that's the you know short answer. Trying to bring awareness, accountability, restitution. Well, you wrapped a lot of things in there. I mean, when, uh, and all of it, I had somebody on a guest talking about Afghanistan and actually went over with a group of people, 12 people to rescue uh, translators and getting them out because the U.S. government wasn't doing it. So I had them on my show. So, yeah, there's a lot of that topic. But, you know, here's a, a picture of you with uh, Dr. Robert Malone. And, you know, um, once oh, again, Peter McCoy. Oh, Peter McCoy. Excuse yeah, that's me. okay. That's okay. Yeah, yes. Um, and, you know, once again, a lot of, uh, you know, what happened, too, with some of this is that, as you know, you know, social media blocked and they shut down any voice during that period of time that had the different perspectives. And then finally, now people are able to express them and able to bring up those questions and show that people have been injured from the vaccines, show the damage that is done, show that some of the issues with the vaccines, both uh, what they didn't do, their real testing of it, all those pieces that were blocked from the, the general public getting to know any of that. Now it's at least being out to come out on X, if nowhere else. Um, but, you know, once again, so there's that piece of it is all those voices, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., you name it, all those mm -hmm. voices who have a different perspective uh, are now able to share that perspective and we can go a little bit deeper. So that's one piece. Uh, and then the other piece is this thing that you have here is a, uh, a petition on um, to uh, for congressional investigation of the illegal Department of Defense activity. So that's something that people can go to on 
is it on change.com? I believe uh, change.org. Right. Um, it's on change.org or people can go to my website and I have these links in there. Uh, so my brother, uh, very much. Yeah, I'm going to throw up your uh, website right here. Um, that's your website right now. Uh, johnfranklin.com and they can also, uh, and then there's the petition here. If uh, people want to go to the petition of uh, either yeah. or, but probably going to yours is, the best yes. and the easiest to do it, right? The website has a link to the change.org. It has links to my social media and different, um, yeah, different shows that I've been on. But you can definitely help support me in this mission by getting on my website, by signing the petition and just kind of sharing this information. And one of the problems is that we are dealing with government tech censorship of information. I, just looking at the kind of narrative that we were given, the propaganda that we were given during the whole COVID pandemic, I think everybody here can understand that. So we need to help try to get ourselves out of that echo chamber. And you can do that by kind of elevating this voice, by trying to help raise it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm no one special, but I just think that God has given me kind of this message to try to share. So I'm going to try to share it to the best extent that I can. I'm, I'm going to throw up this quote from you again, because it kind of, it really gets back to what you just said. You know, I mean, thinking critically when future crises arise. Um, so not to give away to propaganda and social pressure, especially when it goes against one's values, individual liberty and common sense. And that quote resonated back then, but we're going to, we're going to need that quote again. We're going to need that belief in that action again, because it's coming back. It's not over uh, these attempts to get compliance on certain issues for certain reasons. It's just going to continue. And I think uh, making people critical thinkers, free thinkers, being willing to, you know, challenge uh, things, even your own beliefs, but will be willing to challenge beliefs just because somebody pushes it out at you doesn't mean that you have to accept it, believe it, and agree. You know, in the old days, if you went to a doctor and the doctor gave you a, a, a opinion, you'd get a second opinion. And now you're not supposed to get a second opinion. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm of the school to get a third and a fourth opinion. Why would you mm -hmm. only get two? So, and you know, with all this stuff coming out, it's don't accept it question authority, question authority, question authority, and, and, and begin to think critically, like you say. So just tell us a little bit more about that, your perspective. Right. And I think that everybody, I don't know the answer. I don't know how to fix this, but I know that anyone who thinks that it's in the next election, oh, if only we get Trump, if only we get Republicans in the House, that's not it. Government isn't going to save us. Whatever you're doing, you need to do more. And the way that I think you discover what you're supposed to do is through prayer and discernment. So having that close personal relationship with God will allow you to, in prayer, kind of understand and hear his voice more and get kind of direction for your life. And the government, your politician, he can't improve your life. It's something that you need to be doing. So whatever you're doing, do more, think critically. And then I encourage you to, as you're trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to do more, that's, that's for you to decide. That's between you and you and God, uh, or you and whatever higher power you think, I mean, Jordan Peterson, he sets things up very beautifully where even if you're maybe agnostic or not, you know, maybe just anything but an atheist, you're able to kind of set your values and your principles and think through those and make yourself a better person. So we need that kind of can-do attitude, that kind of growth mindset to try to get us through the next challenges. So, and then the COVID shot thing, that was just a small thing. So I hope no one's just thinking like, oh man, this guy's really upset about the COVID shot. He just needs to get over it. This is just a small, small thing, small indication of the many freedoms that are going away within our society right now. And there's so many different areas or institutions or areas where there's uh, just a few kind of oligarchies that are ruling 
everything. So within like the pharmasphere, maybe you have a few companies that have 80, 90% of all sales, all products, and the CDC is working alongside them where you have people sliding back and forth and they're able to make policies that kind of hurt that middle level people. So you're getting a greater disparity in those who have power and those who don't. Middle class is being driven away. We see that with big pharma. We see that with big tech um, trying to get a startup right now in tech. I mean, crazy, but just with like Google, DuckDuckGo, control of information. So just a very small thing in seeing like a more global push to get power very centralized. So those beautiful principles that our country's founded on, try to come back and own those. Yeah, I would just echo that because it's that bigger picture. Like you said, COVID and that particular thing was one piece of a bigger picture. And all those, uh, you know, you look at you look at a country like America, one of the most advanced, the wealthiest country in the world, and we have more health issues than most of the world. And the promotion of what it takes to stay healthy, like eat right, exercise, right. do the things is not promoted. What's promoted is pharmaceuticals, pharmaceuticals, and more pharmaceuticals. And, and if you think that's done for your health, well, you know, like they say, used to say, I got a bridge for you in, in uh, Brooklyn to sell you. You right. know, it, it's clearly done for the, the money of the pharmaceutical companies. And so if you're not challenging all of that and wondering, you know, what is the program? Is it in the interest of you and your family and your friends and your community? Or is it in somebody else's interest? No, so, I would, go ahead, sir. I would still encourage people be involved politically. You might hate the system. You might think it doesn't work against you. That's what we have right now. So it, people who think we need to move to anarchy, it's not worth voting for anyway. The whole thing's rigged. Get out there. We only have like 40% of the people who vote. You want people like Republicans think that they can get more moderate right now in order to get more votes. If you who believe what you believe firmly got out there, voted on those issues, we'd be able to get those elections done. And like, well, yeah, this is broken, but we need to reform it. And we only do that if we get the right people in there. So get freaking involved politically. It's it's crazy. People are dying for it. You're just sitting on your app. You know, well, anyway. well, yeah, I'm sure you've seen and other people have seen that meme where, you know, it's like the, the, the person at the uh, podium says, who wants change? And everybody raises their hand. And then uh, who's going to get active to, to do to change? Nobody. So right. it's not about who's going to do it for you. You're going to do it. And sure. you need to get active. You need to do it for your family, your friends, your community. You need to get involved. Do be growth minded, like you said. Um, you know, think for yourself. Be a free thinker. But get active to make the world a better place. Because that's on each one of us individually. It's not somebody else's job. It's not the politician's job. It's our job. It's our life. It's our our world. And and we each need to step to that. And so I think that's that's your message. And I'm about to pivot to a fun thing. But right before I do that, real quick. I just want to remind people, uh, go to uh, uh, go to your uh, website here. And let me see if I get it up. Um, there you go. Go to the website, sign the petition uh, uh, at uh, change.org. Um, follow John, support what John is doing, and, and get involved yourself. He's on all the social media sites. You'll see that on his website. So I just want to give that. Thank you, John, for doing all that. I just kind of want to pivot for a moment. Um, and let's see, uh, somebody just threw up a little comment for you, who I know, Mandy, uh, we support you. Um, All right, thank um, and then just, I want to go to another thing, because, you know, we went through some heavy stuff. And like you said, this COVID, this, all these other issues in the world. But like most people, you know, you were going to become a priest, then you became a Green Beret. And now 
this is the other side of John Franklin, which I, I love. Um, t- tell us about this, John. All right. So, uh, well, COVID's coming out, right? So you have COVID coming out and Governor Ron DeSantis in all of his wisdom declares that the WWE is an essential service. So all sports go away, but the WWE continues to have events uh, in their training complex. So I just, I loved it as a kid growing up watching Stone Cold, The Rock, favorite wrestler Kane. Just love that. Ate it up as a kid. I think some of that attitude era kind of like wrestling is what we need right now to just say, get out of here. F you, I'm not <laughs> doing what you tell me. Um, so I, I get a month of that uh, WWE network and I kept subscribing since. Started watching it again, remembering how fun it was. And as I'm getting out of the military, I think, you know, this looks pretty fun. I'm still a kind of athletic guy. Let me, uh, should I give this a shot? So I ended up going to or signing up for an eight week wrestling course. I went to Flatbacks Wrestling School. Uh, it's run by Sean Spears, Tyler Breeze. So wrestlers who were both in WWE, one of them is in AEW now, and they kind of go you give you through the ropes. You learn how to take the bumps, front bump, back bump, run the ropes, body slams, suplexes, you know, you name it. And yeah, that picture is from a match that I had with uh, Coastal Wrestling Federation. So it's definitely a very fun thing. Um, kind of a hobby right now as I'm sort of sort of focusing on this kind of political change. However, it is a hobby now, but if for whatever reason, Vince McMahon is watching this, Triple H is watching this, Tony Khan is watching this, you know, I'll, I'll gladly sign a contract for the WWE or for AEW. I mean, I'll be all elite. I'll be next WWE superstar. Cause I don't know how many people on your roster had that kind of active military background. And, you know, I was a special operations soldier. I am the operator and uh, I'll crush whatever opposition I get guys they don't know what physical toughness is they haven't walked to the point where they're falling asleep they haven't uh smelled ammonia because they're burning kind of muscle off their body so you know you want toughness i got it i love it man what 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 a message i think they that they definitely need to get you in there um but besides you know so you'll be and you have other aspirations like you said political aspirations and other things that you're going to do in the future you're going to continue to uh try and make restitution from the military for people who are harmed by this. So, you know, there's the, the, the serious side, there's the fun side. Um, and, and combining those all together in a package is, is always a good thing, man. So, you know, it's been a, a pleasure uh, to spend some time with you. It's been an honor for both your service in the military and your continued service. Cause at the end of the day, you know, you didn't just serve in the military. You didn't just serve when you were trying to become a priest, but you continue to serve and, uh, at, I think that's a message to all of us that one of the best things we can do in life is to be of service to others. And if we find a way to do that in whatever way we can with the gifts that we have, and um, we'll make the world a better place and our country a better place. So uh, I thank you. I appreciate you. If you have any closing thoughts, once again, thank you. And people can go to uh, your, your website at johnfranklin.com to get more information. But any closing thoughts, John? Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me, John. And I appreciate the kind words. And I'll just say, um, just kind of going off the lines of Luke 17, 7 to 10, where Jesus talks about the servant who goes out on the field. And when he comes back, the master doesn't say, sit down, I'm going to wait on you. He has the servant wait on him. And when he's done waiting on him, the, the master doesn't say thank you. And the servants, they just say, we are unworthy servants. We only did what was our duty. So I'm just an unworthy servant trying to do my duty. And it's just on us to go out there, do whatever duty we're supposed to do because we're unworthy servants of the Lord, but he's good. So do what you can for him, for your country. And uh, yeah, God bless everybody. 
Hey, thank you. God bless you, man. And uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, and uh, we'll share it out there further. And I uh, wish you uh, fun. And when you when you do get into WWE, I was a big fan of wrestling when I was a kid. I'll be there. I'll come watch it for sure and cheer for you, man. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a great day. And once again, John, uh, go, go to the website, everybody, um, and uh, write, uh, sign the petition and support what John is doing. Thank you very much, John. Have a great day. Bro. Yeah, you too, bud.